Then Jesus began to teach his disciples. The human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts, and be killed and then after three days rise from the dead. He said this plainly, but Peter took hold of Jesus, scolding him, and began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at the disciples and sternly corrected Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God thoughts, but human thoughts. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the human one will be ashamed of that person when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Facing death is a grace of Lent. Once we realize this, we can get on with the business of living. I've mentioned in the past that I've lost a few close friends at a young age that forced me to wrestle with the brevity of life. Plus, as most of you know, I'm a four on the Enneagram, so I think about these things more than most. In our gospel text, Peter is offended that Jesus says he must suffer and die. Why must? When we're not talking atonement theology here, but Jesus knows deeply his son of man, human one identity, something out of the book of Daniel, necessitates this. And Peter doesn't want this. We certainly don't want to suffer ourselves or see others suffering. But the human journey is unfortunately one of severance, descent, underworld, and return, which is a kind of suffering. In Christian terms, it's called the way of a cross for a reason. Don't tell Joel Osteen. Now, when we're talking about suffering, we're not justifying suffering, pain, oppression, abuse, like, well, this is just what happens in life. Quite the opposite. To live justly and mercifully in the world means opposing abuse and suffering by the state and the powerful. Christianity itself is an empirical power that has inflicted pain and suffering on people and the planet for thousands of years, often in the name of Jesus. Only 20% of evangelicals today believe climate change is caused by humans, giving the vast majority of religious people a green light to abuse or use our shared environment however they want. Jesus is not justifying suffering or oppression then or now. As followers of Christ, to live is to be healed by love, which always challenges these ideas and systems of domination. But I think a key aspect of our gospel text is that we should not justify our struggle in this way of living with the ideas of the divine or avoid the struggle altogether as our consumer culture constantly sells us on. By this, avoid pain and struggle. Choose to be happy now, whether through distraction or temporary gratification, it is incredibly easy to become numb to our lives, our purpose, who we truly are, the actual suffering of others in society. Christianity is also professional at suffering avoidance by giving us a myriad of theological justifications when we face despair, from it's a spiritual battle to God has a plan or God is with you in the suffering. But what if there is no greater point to the suffering, no deeper meaning other than our ability to be present in it? The best marathon runner of all time, Iliad Kipchoge, says, do not run away from the run, 
run the run. There's wisdom here for suffering and for that of others. Peter wants Jesus to be something other than what Jesus knows himself to be, one that opposes the state and religious oppression. This is his truth, his journey which was forged in the wilderness and ones that heads toward the cross, its own meaningless suffering to which Jesus will feel forgotten and alone. Peter wants to run away from the run, as do we, because it's more complicated to run the run. Paradoxically though, as Thomas Merton often pointed out, to avoid suffering causes more suffering. The same is true for running. To be with the suffering of the moment eases the run, while running away from it causes more suffering. To be in the moment with what is happening to our mind, our heart, or body, when we live broken and open to love, is to live courageously by embracing the complexities of suffering and despair. The church often wants us to theologize our suffering as a way to make us feel better about it. If we feel that our despair is not created or allowed by God, then God is with us in it. But in the Mark text, Jesus does not guarantee Peter or the disciples this theological salve or offer consolation for his impending suffering or theirs. He rather invites everyone gathered to take up their crosses, which could have been a familiar saying of the day. In other words, to live from a place of healing and peace in opposition to violence and oppression of the state could get you killed. We take up our crosses, or we don't. If you think you're saving your life, you're losing it. I doubt this text is trying to display some idea of Jesus's omniscience. Instead, Jesus is communicating something about the life to the community, saying that what he is doing by challenging the authorities and violence, preaching grace, healing the sick, it tends to get people killed. When we think of the Lent pattern, which serves as a microcosm for human life, Severance can be very disorienting. Perhaps we witness Peter in this stage of severance here, realizing that life will not be as he expected. Jesus assures him instead that being rejected and crucified is what the human one does. Jesus rebukes Peter, don't call me Messiah because I'm not who you think I am. I'm not gonna justify your opinions or beliefs and I'm not gonna meet your expectations. I think we can all relate to this. We all want Jesus to be what we want him to be, the greatest moral teacher, a passionate prophet for social justice, a savior who takes away the sins of the world. And yet he still insists that he will not be our Messiah, at least not in the way we think about it. I'm not gonna be your projection of the divine. I'm not gonna be your savior. I will not meet your expectations. I will not green light your political ideologies. I've never read Jesus' rebuttal like this. And as the early 2000s band Remy Zero earnestly sang, somebody save me. Peter and probably most of us want a savior. There's a new Amazon commercial with no music, only the sound of a plane engine on a tarmac as people are finishing a load of Amazon goods. On the screen, the camera slowly pans up to our faceless hero as we are told by scrolling text how much Amazon has given to those in need. COVID-19 relief, victims of natural disasters, hungry families fed, and they're not done yet. Amazon is more than willing to be penciled in as savior. But we know that if they wanted to pay their employees a fair wage, they could. Or pay taxes so that we don't have 500,000 people homeless in our nation, they could. 
or offset Amazon's damage to the planet, which causes unnatural disasters, that they want us to be grateful for them for donating supplies in the aftermath, they could. But they want us to thank them and admire them for their generosity. Our savior, Amazon. We want a savior. Religious people want a savior. And people who don't go to church or consider themselves religious want Donald Trump, Stacey Abrams, or Amazon to fulfill their need for a savior. There was a literal, unironic, golden Trump statue at CPAC this week. Need I say more? And if it's not an external savior, religious or otherwise, our culture ensures us that you can be your own savior. Memes at the beginning of the pandemic ensured us that if you took advantage of your spare time, you could be Shakespeare, an inventor, an artist. Learn a language with the assuredness that it is the creative and strong that survive. No, thrive in tough times. You can too. You must. This is nothing to say of the American individual, live your dreams, become somebody special, protect your family, messages that are everywhere and ingrained probably more than we know. This pressure that you should be your own savior is exhausting. And the hope that there's some external savior is an illusion that Jesus rebukes as satanic. Do not look at me as your savior. Actually, don't look for a savior. I am a man and I will die. Do you have the courage to join me, Jesus says. Let us heal the world together. But there is complexity, ambiguity, and suffering when we lose our life, when we give up our need for a Messiah. The enigmatic phrase, take up your cross. It does not acquit systems of domination, but speaks plainly to what they do. And so we pray for the realization of Hugh Jackman's character at the end of the fountain, for a revelation of one's mortality, and then the embrace of the beauty of our love for each other and the breath that we have been given. This is what Jesus is trying to get through to Peter. Jesus says it like, those who lose their life will find it. Those who cling tight to their life will lose it. Again, when we try to run away from the run, we cannot run the run well. Take up your cross and follow me. Knowing that it is the way of love that leads to deep life and that it will cost you your life because deep life first requires a death, a severance for our need for a savior, a fulfillment, an ultimate purpose, a coherent universe, a stable anything. Life is not stable and most of human history has been filled with an untold amount of pointless suffering. Yet it is in the severance and descent that we can embrace a life of love for our world, each other, and our community that shares the deep value of Christ's love here and now, muddied and muddled, unsure of where it might lead, but content knowing that we are only called to run the run. So we pray, let love be the only thing we welcome in on our gentle descent.